Alrighty. Okay, so uh, we're going to be in the book of Judges. If you want to get to Judges chapter 6. Um, Thanksgiving is over, which means, yeah, which means there's four weeks till Christmas. Yikes, yikes, four weeks left, oh my gosh. Um, so we're, we're officially in Advent season, and uh, you know, as traditional here at Restoration, we're going to have a traditional, you know, Advent series on Gideon. Um, so for the next, uh, the next four weeks, we're walking through the book of Judges, chapter 6 through 8, and we'll be looking at the story of Gideon for the next four weeks. So it's going to be uh, going to be a good time. We're walking through the story of Gideon, so we're going to continue in the story of Judges here, um, and Gideon's going to function as our Advent series. So the study of Gideon spans three chapters, chapter 6 all the way through chapter 8, um, and so for the next four weeks we're going to be considering Gideon's calling, uh, his zeal, his mission, and his kingdom. Okay, So we'll be looking at Gideon for the next four weeks, uh, and going to be comparing and contrasting, kind of looking at how Gideon compares and contrasts from Jesus. Okay, um, In the same way that Gideon came to Israel as a deliverer, we're going to see that Jesus came to the world as a savior. right? And so we'll be looking for these connections between the story of Gideon and the story of Jesus. Um, there's a lot of verses, so I'm just going to go through them. You know, in, in line, I'm not going to read the whole passage here to start us out, but if you would join me in prayer before we can begin. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word, uh, to be challenged by it, encouraged by it, strengthened by it this morning. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this story of Gideon and, and uh, consider uh, the way you um, impacted him and impacted the people of Israel, uh, that we'd be able to apply this message to our hearts this morning and that we'd be, be challenged and encouraged by uh, by this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, Gideon starts out, the, the cycle of Gideon is actually one of the longer uh, descriptions of a judge in Judges. Again, it's three chapters, chapter 6 to chapter 8, and they're pretty long chapters. So, uh, a decent amount of uh, information to cover here. Um, the, this first section, chapter 6, I'm going to read through verses 1 to 24, uh, throughout the day today, and this is going to cover the calling of Gideon to be a deliverer in Israel. So the first seven verses we see that we pick up kind of in the same vein that we've been hitting with every judge that comes up, the cycle of judges, you remember the judges cycle is continuing. We start with verse one, it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So again, we've seen uh, Othniel and Ahud and uh, Shamgar and Barak and Deborah come through. And in each cycle, we've seen the people of the Lord, the people of Israel, do evil in the sight of the Lord. There's worship the gods of the country that the Lord gave them, right? Worship those gods of that land. Uh, be sent into oppression over the people of the land and then cry out to the Lord in their discomfort, in their hurt, for the Lord's mercy. And so again, this cycle begins again here in uh, chapter 6, verse 1. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord, that is, they worshipped the gods of the land, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. In the next 
four or five verses, uh, the writer goes on to describe just how difficult the situation was with the Midianite oppression. We get a little more expansive uh, picture, a description of how things were in the country under, uh, under this leader. In verse 2, it says, The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves in the strongholds. And the strongholds. So the oppression of Midian was so bad that Israel was hiding out. They were leaving their land and their cities and hiding out in dens and strongholds within the mountains. Okay? So they were cowering under the power of the Midianites at this time. Verse 3 goes on to say, And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east, that is east of the Jordan, would come up against them. Verse 4, They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. We know where that is, right? So from east to west, the entire of the land. The Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the east would enter the land when crops were planted and uh, take over. They would devour the produce of the land, and they would leave no sustenance in Israel, even for the livestock. Verse 5, they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste to the land that they came in. So they brought their livestock, they brought their tents, they moved, basically like nomads, right? They're moving from their land, maybe their season of planting and growing is done, and they move into Israel and take over there as well and eat all the produce there in that land. Verse 6 summarizes how the people of Israel were feeling. Verse 6 says, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord sold them into oppression under the hand of Midian. And the, and the oppression was very, uh, very bad. It brought the people of Israel very low under the hand of Midian. So this is the beginning of the cycle, right? We've seen this cycle every single time. And uh, as we continue the cycle, verses 7 uh, forward, we see the solution, right? The people of the Lord cry out and the Lord provides in some way. And in each way, he does it a little bit differently, right? So verse 7 says, When the people of the Lord cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. And again, from beginning to end, we, we don't see repentance. We just see crying out, right, in fear. The people of the Lord cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. In verse 7. In response to their cry... First, the Lord sends, not the deliverer, but a prophet. We don't have the prophet's name, but we have a prophet that comes to Israel and says, you know, basically rendering judgment to them, saying, you, you know why this is happening. You've seen this story before, okay? You've seen this happen before. The prophet says this, verses 8 to 10. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, right? The prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord. So just all the words here are the Lord speaking them to Israel. The God of Israel, I led, you out, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The prophets reminding them 
where they came from, right? The Lord is the one, right? The, the Lord Almighty is the one who took the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, saved them from oppression in Egypt, delivered them through the wilderness and across the Jordan into this promised land, defeated emphatically the people of the land and gave them this land as an inheritance. But after all of this, the people disobeyed the Lord. They did not obey his voice. So the people cry out. The Lord sends a prophet to say, hey, you remember what I did. You remember what I did on your behalf. And you have not obeyed me. And so then the, the rest of this section, verses 11 to 24, we see Gideon being called uh, to come and save Israel in response. I love this call, verse 11. Um, so verse 11 is going to set up where Gideon was when this all happens. And then we're going to see an interaction, verses 12 down to 24, of Gideon speaking with the angel of the Lord uh, throughout this time. It's going to be a big back and forth for a little bit here. Um, so first, the place where Gideon is when he's called. I love this part. Verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, not Oprah, not to be confused with Oprah, Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon, in order to hide their produce from the Midianites as they're coming in and taking their produce, Gideon is hiding in a wine press to beat out the grain, right? The Midianites are coming and taking all the produce, and Gideon is there hiding in a wine press in fear, right, that the Midianites are going to come take their food. Food is scarce, and Gideon is beating out the wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites, that his family might survive, right? I mean, they're literally just trying to get by at this point. So in the midst of uh, this wine press, the angel of the Lord shows up and starts to speak to Gideon. And this is what the angel of the Lord says to him. The angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Verse 12. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So, the, I mean, imagine yourself just like trying to make some wheat, you know, trying to make some bread, right? And angel Lord shows up to you and says, the Lord is with you. You might, I mean, maybe you've got some questions, right? You're hiding from the Midianites in a wine press, <laughs> trying to make wheat, and the angel is saying, the Lord's with you. Can't you tell? You're such a, in such a powerful position right now. You see how the Lord is with you. But this is what he says. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon replies, please, verse 13, please, my Lord, if the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon replies, why has the Lord forsaken us? We actually know the answer to that, right? We, we, know, we know why he forsook them. Because they did not obey the Lord, right? 
But Gideon is here trying to provide, trying to take care of his family. And the, and the angel Lord says, the Lord is with you, Gideon. You're a mighty man of valor. So verse 14, Gideon has this question again, why has the Lord forsaken us? And notice, notice the way the angel Lord responds. He basically, and angels do this occasionally, okay, in your, in your biblical interactions with angels. Uh, someone will ask a question of an angel, and the angel will just totally ignore the question, okay, and move on to the next thing. Jesus does this too. You ask him a question, he just moves completely on. So Gideon says, why has the Lord forsaken us? And the angel Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? He, he totally like ignored completely. Ignored completely Gideon's questions and requests, right? He says, don't worry about the fact. All these questions you have about why the Lord is forsaking you, don't even worry about it. I am with you. He turns to him and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Gideon replies, verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Gideon's replies, I'm the least of these. I'm hiding and cowering in a wine press. I'm the least of all the tribes. How can I be the one? And the Lord replies, but I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. It doesn't matter how small you are. We've seen that throughout Judges. It doesn't matter how small you are. When the Lord says he's with you, he's with you. Doesn't matter how weak you are. When the Lord says he's with you, he's with you. And so Gideon, in reply, says, verse 17 and 18, If now I have found favor in your eyes, you can see him just pleading with the Lord here. If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you with whom I speak. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, and, and the angel of the Lord responded and said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon says, if I've found this favor in your eyes, then please wait. I, I just want to bring you, I want to bring you a present. I want to give it, I want to give it to you. And the angel of the Lord grants this request and says, I will return. Gideon then, verse 19, goes into his house, prepares a young goat and unleavened cakes from that ephah of flour. So he just made flour probably to provide for his family, right? Like, don't have much flour, don't have much to give. Most of the flour is being stolen by the Midianites. And instead, he takes this flour, this wheat, and makes flour and presents a meal to the angel of the Lord. We shouldn't escape the fact that, like, they didn't have much to give to anybody, right? Food was scarce. And in the midst of that, Gideon prepares a meal for the angel of the Lord. So he puts meat in a basket, broth in a pot, brings it to him under the terebinth, and presents it to the angel. Verse 20, the angel, Lord, uh, the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. 
and pour the broth over him. So the angel of the Lord gives him cooking instructions here. All right, I want you to combine these here on the rock. It says Gideon did so. Verse 21. The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, fire sprung up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Talk about like a crazy experience, right? At this moment, Gideon knows that it was the Lord, which begs us to like think about the whole scenario and think like Gideon's wondering if it's the Lord the whole time, right? Is this person talking to me the Lord or not? And he's testing him and, and questioning and asking for, for wisdom from this, uh, from this angel. And at this moment, it says, verse 22, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, in fact. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's undone, right? Alas, I've seen the Lord face to face. Like, I'm going to die, right? Like, I no one can see the face of the Lord and live. So the angel Lord has left, right? Right after he tipped his spear to the, uh, to the rock, the, the thing burnt up, and the angel Lord left. But then the Lord is still having a conversation with Gideon. So the angel left, the, the manifestation of the Lord there left. And when Gideon said, oh, now I've seen the face of the Lord, the angel Lord face to face, the Lord continues to speak to him. And says, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Right? Gideon thought he was going to die because he saw the Lord face to face. He knew at that moment that it was the Lord and he was cowering. Alas, I've seen the face of the Lord. And the Lord says, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And her passage concludes by saying, that there Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it still stands at Aphra, which belongs to the Ab Abizarites. Ab kind of a crazy story, right? Anyone remember this story from Sunday school? Anyone remember this? You remember from Sunday school? Oh, yeah, Superbook. Okay, cool. Yeah, kind of, like, yeah. All right. Usually Gideon, I, like, I'm thinking of the fleece story more so than this story. I just don't... I don't oh, yeah, that's the only part of Gideon we have Right, exactly. Okay, yeah, fleece. We, we know Gideon from Sunday school, but maybe not, maybe not the wine press situation. Like, what's going on here? Um, anyway, it's, it's a really cool passage. I love, uh, like, what is happening here. And the Lord is, again, calling Gideon, who's like, I'm the weakest. How could I possibly be this man of valor that you call me that I am? The Lord says, I am with you, O man of valor. And so I have a few things I want us to uh, chew on and take away from this as we um, consider the passage. And the first is this. Um, and this goes back to like thinking through uh, this idea, right, that, um, that Israel continues to forget what the Lord has done. So back to the beginning, this cycle that is continuing to happen, right? Israel continues to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. 
and this cycle continues, and they cry out to the Lord and, and, and want His help in their time of desperation. And it seems that they just want His help and not His presence, because they continue to like go on and worship the gods of the land. Like We don't see a repentant heart in them over time. So this is the thing I want to challenge us with as we consider this fact and as we continue to consider it throughout the book of Judges. Um, and it's this, that Israel's status as the people of God was decided, okay? The people of Israel at this time, they're the Lord's people. He has chosen them. He has, he has chosen them through the Abrahamic covenant, right? They are the people of God. That is a decided fact. This is a chosen nation. God has protected him, them and put his hand of protection around them. He's going to watch over them. So under this covering of uh, what was promised to Abraham, they became a nation. And God gave them a land. And they were his people. And they are his people. However, the Lord, under that covering of the Abrahamic covenant, also gave another covenant under which they were to operate. Separate but related to their identity, the Lord gave them another covenant under Moses as they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. A covenant based not on their calling and position as God has called them, but rather according to their obedience. He said, you'll be blessed when you obey my ways, and you'll be cursed when you disobey my ways. You can see the, the list of blessings and curses in Leviticus uh, 20 and Deuteronomy 28, and you can see them lined out, right? As you obey me, I will continue to defeat your enemies and provide for your land. But if you disobey me and walk in the ways of the world then I will not bless you. I will curse you. I will sell you into the hand of your enemies. And so for us, Christians, we have to think about how this applies to our hearts and our lives. The same dynamic is actually operative in our lives. This same kind of two-storied uh, uh, covenant going on. The same dynamic is operative. Our salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. When you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. You are His. He has saved you from the penalty of your sin. You're forever His child. If you've truly trusted in the Lord Jesus, then you're His child. You have entrance into heaven. And sometimes we like to kind of like couple that fact with blessing in our lives. Well, since I accepted Jesus, my life should just turn out right. Everything should just go well because I accepted Christ. He should turn it all into roses. We have this thinking in our head that because I'm a chosen one of God, it should just be easy. And I should walk out and everything just like lay out before me. But to challenge that thinking would just 
plain experience in life, right? We know that we're still prone to the consequences of sin. And we're still receiving the blessing of obedience. As believers, we know that our sin makes us feel distant from the Lord. Did the Lord move? No. He did not move. He is right with us. We're the ones that are pushing Him aside. Our sin distances us from the Lord and clouds our vision for the future. It, it breaks our relationships with one another and brings harm to ourselves. God did not remove the consequence of sin from you as a believer. Hey, when you accept Jesus and then you walk in sin, you will reap the consequences of that sin. And so we have to recognize that this is a continued walk of faith. Like every day I have to surrender to the Lord Jesus. If I want his best for me, then I have to obey him. I have to follow his commands. I have to say, where you send me, I will go. What you call me to do, I will do. What you tell me not to do, I will not do. And in as much as I do that, I will be blessed. And in as much as I do not do that, curse will be upon me. And that's not like a salvation thing. I'm not like talking about earning salvation through that. I'm just saying that as you walk in sin, you will reap that. And as you walk in obedience, you will reap that. On the positive side of that, like as believers, our obedience always brings blessing. And I need to talk through this a second. <laughs> it always brings blessing. If you obey the Lord, you will be blessed. Okay? I can guarantee it. If you obey the Lord, you will be blessed. I can also guarantee that your blessing might not look like you thought your blessing was going to look when you started obeying. I guarantee it. It might be better than you could imagine. But like the thing about the Lord with this blessing and curse idea is that he wants your heart. He is after your whole heart. The reason he allows consequence for your sin is for your heart. The reason he gives blessing for your obedience is for your heart. And man, when you set out obeying the Lord, sometimes you think that blessing is going to be something you can obtain in this world. But we know, because we pray for countries like this every single Sunday, right? That sometimes blessing results in suffering. But the thing about obedience is that even when you suffer for the cross or for the name of Christ, you feel blessing. You know you're blessed. Because even in your suffering, you know that the Lord has you, that you identify with his sufferings in the midst of that. The Lord blesses us, and it's kind of with what, uh, what Gideon ended with. He blesses us with his peace. As you walk in obedience, you find out that the Lord is peace. This kingdom principle is true that as we steward what the Lord gives us, he entrusts us with more to handle in his kingdom. Think about the story of the talents. They gave five. He made five out of the five. He was blessed. 
He gave two. That guy made two out of the two. He was blessed. He gave one. That guy hid it and did nothing with it. He was cursed. You are called to steward what the Lord gives you. And that's obedience. And the Lord gives you more when you steward that. But you got to get out of your head like, okay, more means a mansion. <laughs> maybe in heaven, right? And maybe it's blessing on earth, right, too. Maybe it's comforts that he gives. But that is always about your heart and always about blessing your heart and your relationship with him. So let us learn from the Israelites and not forget what the Lord has done. Let's not forget that the Lord has delivered us from our former slavery to sin. We were as enslaved to sin as the people of Israel were enslaved to Egypt. It, as, as, as enslaved. The same amount of slavery that they were enduring in Egypt, we are, were enduring through our sin. And let us not forget that he has given us a new life in Christ to walk in. That even as we see hardship and difficulty, we know that we are blessed. Let us not forget that he has defeated any enemy that could rise up against us, and so we shall not be afraid. There's nothing, no problem, no circumstance, no, no opponent that could come up against us that we should be afraid. The same words that the Lord spoke to Gideon, he has spoken of us. O oh, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. You shall not be afraid. Second um, thing I want to hit on as we close from this passage is Gideon is not perfect. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go, come up here and defend all of Gideon's character over the next four weeks. Okay, um, there are some things about Gideon that just you know are rough, um, and the truth is we know that none of the deliverers of the judges are. They're all flawed. They all have issues. They're humans. However, we need to recognize that the word said what the word says uh, about Gideon. The word says that the Lord was with Gideon. Now, Gideon is usually uh, criticized um, for being reluctant about his calling uh, because of the scene we just went through, this back and forth with the angel Lord. But I'm so weak, and like, where are you? And our, but our people, like, why have you forsaken us? This conversation, he is sometimes criticized because he's maybe reluctant in his calling or because if he's putting out the fleece to say, are you with me, are you not, right? Gideon is criticized for being uh, uh, slow to take up what he's been called to do. However, there's no evidence in the word that the Lord has judged him for his questions or his actions in these, in these scenes. Okay, as, the, as uh, Gideon went back and forth with the Lord about, about his calling to rise up against the Midianites, the Lord does not judge him for this conversation. He, he doesn't judge him at all. He grants his requests. And the same is true in the fleeces. He doesn't, he's not mad at Gideon for asking for this sign. He's not mad about it with Gideon. We contrast that with last week where we looked at Barak 
who was judged, right, immediately for questioning Deborah's prophecy. Do you remember last week? Last week, Barak says, I've got questions. I want Deborah. Deborah, I just want you to come with me, right? And Barak was judged for that response. And so too was Zechariah. Remember last week, right? We said, Zechariah, Gabriel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. And he's like, ah, how do I know it's going to be true? Should have believed me. I'm the angel in the temple. You're here. And he's mute until the, until the son is born, right? They were judged for asking questions, right? And so why is Gideon not judged for his questions? It seems like he's asking questions and doesn't get judged. What we need to take from this, again, is that the Lord knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He's not afraid of questions. That's not the issue, okay? So, so don't think that the Lord is afraid of your questions. He's not. He's not even mad about your questions. He wants you to ask questions. But be sure you're not asking questions uh, in, in doubt of the Lord's power or in the doubt of the Lord's uh, ability. Having questions of the Lord in and of itself is not wrong. Think of Thomas, right? The disciples are telling him, hey, Jesus is risen. We saw him. We saw him face to face. And Thomas says, until I place my finger in the mark of the nails, I will not believe. And when Jesus showed up again, did Jesus judge Thomas for having those questions? No, he says, hey, come take your finger and put it in my side. Put it on my, put it on my hand. He's okay with your questions. He's after your heart. Barak distrusted the Lord in his strength. That's why he was judged. Zechariah distrusted the Lord. How will I know you are able to do this? Because uh, I'm an angel that showed up in your temple? Like, you should have known. Right? So I'm definitely not going to be here saying Gideon is wrong to have these questions. Gideon, because what the Lord says about Gideon is that he is, the Lord is with him and that he's a mighty man of valor. That's what the word says about Gideon. And he does not judge him for his questions and his testing. Again, I'm, I'm not here to defend Gideon's character, but we can learn a lot from how Gideon responds to the Lord's calling in his life with obedience in contrast to the people that are around him. And we'll see that in the next coming weeks. And finally, um, as we're celebrating this Advent season and, and Jesus coming as a Savior, I just want to point out that like these pictures in the Old Testament of God as Savior are a thread throughout the Old Testament from beginning to end. Okay, the story that the Bible is telling is that God is your Savior. No one else can save you. You can't save you, and no one else can save you. God is your Savior. From beginning to end, this is the story. And the story of the book of Judges is not that these judges were so powerful or mighty or smart or wise or whatever. Is it that they were weak, right? And that in spite of their weakness, the Lord used their willing hearts to save the Israelites from their oppressors. This is a story, this whole book is a story about how God is a savior. In the same way that Gideon is cowering in a wine press, treading out grain 
to keep it from the oppression of the Midianites, so too Israel, when Jesus came, was under the control of the Roman Empire. And Jesus is, is being counted in a census in a tiny town of Bethlehem when he arrives. God shows up to the weak and the vulnerable. He shows up to save through a favored one. And in the weightiest decisions of our lives, the Lord is peace. It's the proclamation of the angels to the shepherds. Peace on earth and goodwill to those to, to men who are favored, on whom, on whom his favor rests. And so the question for us today, and from Gideon and from Christ, is where does your salvation come from? Is it coming from your hands? Is it coming from your wisdom? Is it coming from your will and your plans? Or is your salvation coming from the Lord? I think the reason that Gideon is wondering why the Lord has forsaken Israel is that Gideon is seeking the Lord. In contrast to those around him who aren't seeking the Lord, he's going, Lord, aren't we your people? I'm trying to follow your way. I'm trying to provide for my family. Aren't we your people? Why have you forsaken us? And throughout these next four weeks, I'm going to show you, and Gideon's eyes are going to be open too, to how much is wrong around him and how much trust needs to be restored in God, our Savior. Is God your Savior, or are you trying to save yourself? Let us be, um, let's challenge ourselves to be like Gideon and listen for the voice of the Lord and have a relationship with him. Talk to him. Ask him questions from a willing and humble heart. Ask him to lead you in every decision and, and you too will be able to build an altar in your heart and say, the Lord is peace. I will call this altar in my heart, the, the Lord is peace. When I feel anxious all around me because of everything I'm facing, I will declare over my heart that the Lord is peace. No matter what enemy is before me, what stress is around me, the Lord is peace. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful um, that when we feel weak, and we feel like the world is collapsing around us, and we feel that everything is against us, that you are strong. You are strong in us, Lord Jesus. And God, help us to not forget what you have accomplished, what you have done, the things that are completed. You have died on a cross for our sin. It's completed. The work is finished. We have an inheritance in heaven that cannot be shaken. An eternal inheritance. With satisfaction and joy eternal. Comfort complete. No crying or pain anymore. All the things that we could desire or want. Namely, yourself. 
And so God, help us to walk out this reality in our lives today. Help us know that our eternal security is as good as complete. And between now and our final breath, Lord, help us to live in light of that fact. That you are our complete peace. And that you will guide us and direct us where you desire us to go. Lord, we pray that we would not be afraid of the enemies around us. That we would see them for what they are. And that we would stand in boldness before all that you bring for us. Lord, help us to trust in your power and not our own strength. And help us to know in our hearts that the Lord is peace. And when he has called us man of valor, we would rise up and do that which you've called us to do. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.